Hi folks, welcome to the podcast When I Became a Gator. I'm your host, V. Payler. We're back with season two where I'll focus on where alumni are now and how their time at UF shaped their lives, careers, and passions. This podcast will focus on the stories of various alumni in hopes of bringing together the Gator Nation one alumni at a time. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Can you just tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and um, when you attended the University of Florida, and also what you studied? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, V. So, hey, everybody, this is Michael Sadafor. Um, I graduated way back in 2012 from the University of Florida. I studied economics in, in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and I'm originally from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. After studying economics, uh, how did you um, start off in your career and were there any challenges that you first faced after leaving Gainesville? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think my journey really changed a lot during college. Uh, In the beginning, and basically my whole life up until college, I always thought I would stay in Florida. I said, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida is the best place in the whole world. I said, I wanna go to college, I wanna, get a couple of degrees and I want to come back to Palm Beach Gardens, Florida and, and work. And I think when I was in the university, two things happened that really kind of changed my trajectory and expanded my horizons. So first one, to be honest, was joining the Asian American Student Union and getting involved in campus, both with ASU and outside of ASU, kind of really built my confidence and opened my eyes to how when you have a lot of people who are like-minded and passionate about a certain subject or topic, you can get a lot done together. And those little wins and seeing the kind of changes that we were able to accomplish, uh, of which there are many I can get into specifically, built the confidence to say, hey, you know, there's opportunity to try and do bigger things. So that's one. And then the second thing was I had always grown up and we would go on like family trips every year. So I was pretty well traveled um, even before being in college, but I always just felt Florida was like the best place. I loved it. And towards the end of my undergrad years, I did an internship um, in Washington, DC during the summer for 10 weeks with OCA, which you also did as well, I think the year or two years before me. Yes. And I loved it. I never thought I was like a city guy. I never thought I would like living in a city. And it was one of the best summers of my life up until that point. Just being in a place where there was a lot of energy, there were 20 other people from all over the country, um, being so close to where major, major decisions were being made and just feeling that vibrancy really opened my eyes to, whoa, there's so much more possibilities in cities. And so after that, I, I went back and I finished my senior year at, at UF And I said, you know, I really want to get out of Florida. I want to go to New York or I want to go to DC. And I just want to kind of live in a big city for a few years and develop my career and professional interests and then uh, see where things go. And that's more or less uh, what happened. For folks who don't know, um, OCA was formerly the Organization of Chinese Americans. but I think they're just encompassing all Asian American uh, ethnicities now, so just rebranded as OCA. But I think, like you said, leaving Gainesville or going to like a larger city where there's more like-minded people, you know, and folks that actually, you know, have similar interests as you is really eye-opening. And I had that similar experience when I interned in DC. I felt like 
this was like way beyond the bubble that we lived in in Florida. So I totally yeah. resonate with like what you say. And I think that kind of just like pivoted both of us really in our careers and just kind of where we are now today. So um, also wanted to go into a quick icebreaker. Michael has found a photo to share with us. If you're watching on YouTube, um, we will also post a photo. But Michael, can you share with us the old photo that you found from college days? Yeah, I can. So I'll share my screen. Yes. So um, Michael is sharing on screen for our listeners that cannot see it, but we will be uh, adding it to our show notes. So you'll be able to look at it later. Michael's sharing a photo of Michael, go ahead and describe to our listeners what we're looking at here. Yeah. Thanks V. So this is kaleidoscope Asian kaleidoscope month, 2012. And this was I think a mixture of the K-Month board and the previous uh, ASU board on the left when I was president. And I think, you know, it was really fun. You know, K-Month is, I'm sure, still a big thing now and it was a big thing then. And um, it was a month of entertainers, speakers, and different events. And I think this is after, um, I actually don't remember what event this was, but it was after one of our major events. and. Uh, I think we took the, the entertainers out to dinner afterwards. Oh, so cool. So for our listeners, Kaleidoscope Month, um, also known as K-Month, was just a month long of programming that um, the Asian American Student Union would host every year for Asian American Heritage Month. Um, and thanks, Michael, for sharing. This is, I think, yeah, it might have been like post an event or something because everyone looks dressed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. must have been fashion show or something. Um, yeah. Second picture I wanted to share with you is this one. So this is actually from the spring of 2013. Um, it's a, a little bit of a cheat. I actually just graduated at this point, but uh, we had an event or there was an event on campus for AASU's 20th anniversary. So for those of you who don't know, Asian American Student Union is the biggest Asian American um, and Pacific Islander student organization on campus. It was founded in 1993. And a lot of us, including Dee, were part of it. And there's an event for ASU week. And they brought back a bunch of presidents. And we participated in this panel. And I think it was just really cool to see um, so many different generations together and people who honestly at that point i already considered much much older than me mm -hmm. um, seeing them come back and, and still be engaged and wanting to connect and and stay in touch i think was really heartwarming and and also kind of exciting just to see that continuity yeah that's super cool and in this photo was it representative of every single president that had been prior no so this I think we, so we're actually in chronological order mm -hmm. and we go back as far as 2000. So this was like th almost 13 years worth of people at the time with some oh, gaps wow. in between. And then actually since then, uh, there's a alumni association, which obviously this is what this podcast is for. And we connected and found almost every president from 1993 to, I think, 2020. So that's- wow. uh, that's, a lot That's of so people. incredible. Yeah, this is 
this is something to get these people all in one room together to reminisce again. <laughs> yeah. That would be super awesome. So, uh, thanks for sharing, so Michael. Now. Yeah, this is this is a really cool photo. Um, just to see like the different, the di many different generations and folks that have come before us in ASU. So that's that's a great photo. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so just to pivot back to um, your career now, like you mentioned, you didn't think you know you would have left Florida and you know, do what you're doing now. Can you just share with our listeners what you do now? And, um, you know, how did that stem from your interest? Obviously your involvement on campus through ASU and other organizations. How, um, yeah. Like tell us about what you do now. Yeah. So I work right now as a product manager for a company called Hulu. Hulu is a streaming video service, um, competes with Netflix and Amazon video and all those other ones. Um, product manager, in case you or anyone out there doesn't know what that is, uh, you're basically sitting in between a business and technology role. So you're sort of like the spoke at the center of a wheel and you work with engineers to build products and features and capabilities. Uh, but you also work with pretty much everybody in the company. So on any given day, I'll be talking to our lawyers and legal uh, finance because we have to do cost and revenue projections when we're trying to undertake new projects or new deals with third parties and vendors. Uh, I work with business development, marketing, analytics to measure the health and success of our products and how they're performing. And um, I also work with sales who are at the front lines with our customers. And so it's a really cool cross-functional role, number one. Uh, number two, it's a combination blend of an analytical role and a strategic role. So what I like about it is you're thinking long-term, you're thinking one year, two years out into the future, and you're creating a roadmap and plans and figuring out how to get there. But you're also doing a lot of analytics. You're looking at the market, what's going on in the industry. You're looking at what customers are doing, what they're interested in, and you're sort of reverse engineering and figuring out how it works that the way it works or why things are the way they are. And then you figure out how you can make things more either easier or enjoyable for whoever that user is. And I think what attracts me to it is I've always been a little bit more of a long-term thinker and I always, or if not always, at least for the past so, so over many years from college and even a little bit before then, I've always kind of looked around and tried to understand why things are the way they are, you know, why there are so many things that we just accept as norms, but who established them and why. I try to understand how things work. And I think having that kind of mindset lends itself really well to product management because you're kind of looking at things and you're either breaking it down backwards or you're trying to see like something that takes a lot of time for people or isn't so easy for them. And you're trying to come up with a better way um, that will ultimately say, I guess, satisfy and, and just make their life a little bit easier. Um, and that's what's attracted me to the, to the field. Yeah. I was just going to say that your stance of like strategic and long-term kind of also blended to what you did on campus. Can you just tell the listeners what, um, what positions you held um, like when you were involved on campus? Yeah, uh, specific to 
Asian American Student Union or? Yes, Asian, the Asian American Student Union. Or you can actually talk about all of them, doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I got to campus in 2008. My, my time was 2008 to 2012. And I just was so excited by the amount of opportunities and activities and clubs on campus that I'd never seen before. I grew up in, you know, a medium-sized city, Palm Beach Gardens. I went to a small private school um, called the King's Academy. And there just weren't that many like clubs and activities and things to do. And so I think when I was in that environment, I just threw myself into it. Um, I never knew about all these clubs. Like I didn't grow up with older siblings or older friends who like told me about it. My parents, are immigrants from Hong Kong and Thailand. And although they're well-educated, um, their experience was more akin to like an international student experience. And so it was just, a, it was just really eye-opening when I got there and a little bit scary and a little bit in intimidating uh, the way I remember it. And actually the way I heard about ASU was it was the fall of 2008 and I was walking through Turlington Plaza and a lot of people were giving out their flyers for their clubs and meetings. And I got a flyer for the Asian American Student Assembly. And so I, I had that. And then I also was on Facebook. And then somehow I saw that there was an ASU meeting. And so I, I went to my first ASU meeting. Um, this was actually a year later. Sorry. So actually... <laughs> I sat on this for a year. I like, I just didn't go. I, yeah. I, and then I went a year later. So this was now 2009. Yep. And I remember that Philip Chang and Vanessa Kwong were president. And obviously Philip is still heavily involved in around. And uh, I remember I walked in and I met Philip and I met Vanessa and I went to the first meeting and they had a bunch of open chair positions. Um, one of them was for the first ever alumni chair. And I applied for the alumni chair. I interviewed for it on a Sunday in the rights union cafeteria <laughs> and got selected to be alumni chair. And the rest is history. The rest so is that's history. How, that's how I got my start into, into ASU. And the short version is I was alumni chair. Um, my role that year was to come up with the plans and proposal for the first ever uh, Asian Affinity Alumni Association at the University of Florida. I spent all year going to meetings for the, all the sub-organizations, CASA and FSA and CUSA and HEAL and VSO. And I would try and get as many people as possible who are graduating seniors to sign up for the alumni group and get their contact information because we wanted to make sure we got people on their way out. Mm -hmm. And then we slowly started trying to find people who had graduated. So we were working with this this woman, this girl named uh, Victoria Huynh, who, had, who was a recent alumni. And that's how we started building. And then we did our first alumni event in March of 2010. And then also in March of 2010, big, mo big, uh, big month, we did a presentation to the board of directors of the University of Florida Associ Alumni Association. Yeah. And I stayed up all night before. <laughs> putting together this proposal where I, did, I had census data and Seiru survey data for, that was a university uh, fielded survey. And it was all this data about, you know, there's this many percentage Asian Americans at the University of Florida, something like 8%, but something like this percent nationally. And it was just all about like articulating this case. 
and I think it must it ended up somewhere between 30 and 50 pages, printed out like dozens of copies at Target Copy sometime between like two and four in the morning. <laughs> and then the next day, 10 a.m., we went to Emerson Alumni Hall, super, super nervous, wearing my suit. Philip was there, the ASU board was there, Vanessa was there. Um, we did our little presentation. Um, we gave us like really, really strong case. It was, you know, you're a little bit nervous. There's this huge group of people. They're all in their like 40s, 50s, 60s. And we talked for about maybe 45 minutes. And then at the end, we were like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen. Because we had no expectations. We just were so glad we even got this meeting. We felt so legitimate. Yeah. And at the end, they kind of like paused for a little bit. And then they looked around. And this first guy, Southern dude, he said, this makes a lot of sense. All I can say is get her done. <laughs> and, and that's how it started. And I know it's a long story, but this goes back to my point, which was seeing that we were able to do something tangible and concrete that people had wanted to do for a number of years. Alumni Association was not my idea. It was an idea that had been around for five, five or more years at that point. But just seeing that we could do things like this got me really excited and was why I decided to continue my involvement with the um, Asian American Student Union. Mm -hmm. And from there, I became treasurer the next year, uh, president after that. And then uh, I, I helped out and volunteered a bit with the alumni group and then was president of that for some time. And just hearing you share um, all your experiences and like the different groups that you interacted with just kind of ties me back to what you do now and what you said your role is at Hulu, where you are like the, the spoke in the middle and you're connecting all these groups. Do you think the time that you you spent at UF and talking to all these various groups and various people that you met really kind of help you in your role today at Hulu or in project management and product management? Yeah, I think it did help because like you were saying, or as you were saying, we spent a lot of time during our four years, both interacting with our professors in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom, we were interacting with students who were our peers, like you and I are peers. We're interacting with younger students and mentoring them. We were getting mentored by older students earlier on in our undergraduate years. And then we were also, you know, very regularly interacting with uh, academic staff or faculty rather, uh, academic staff, faculty and administrative staff. So I think that was really helpful because early on, I got comfortable talking to people at all different kinds of levels within like the university structure, number one. Number two, got used to doing presentations and public speaking. Um, one example is back in 2010, when you and I were sophomores, uh, there was a earthquake that hit Japan. And I joined this group that was primarily international students from Japan um, called Hope for Japan. And we went around and fundraise and like would go speak at all these different events. And so at that point, you get really comfortable like being around crowds, not only a few hundred, but at one point, honestly, we, we were at a visa event and we were in front of like several thousand people. Several thousand people, right, yeah. So I think the, the communication aspect was something that was kind of practiced and routinized very early. And then I think the third thing is dealing with really large organizations and people who are sometimes at odds or want different things. So 
I think those three skill sets are ones that helped me uh, as a product manager, but honestly are just helpful life skills in any career endeavor. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And I was going to say like, those are not skills. Like obviously you can't, I mean, you can take a class for public speaking, but then it doesn't come into practice until you actually use it and like apply it to real life settings. So that's like, I was just going to ask you like what, you know, tips of advice would you have for current students of just like getting out there, trying new things? Like, you know, some, you know, some folks want to just go to school and like do their major and that's totally perfect. But what were some tips, you know, and tips of advice that you would give to current students to try to build their um, skill set, you know, outside the classroom? Yeah. So I think there are a few things. Um, and I like the way that you framed it because I think whether or not someone chooses to get involved with some kind of campus organization or start their own thing, or maybe they just want to do something completely different. I think the more, most important piece of advice that I would give is to find something on campus outside of coursework and academics that you can apply yourself to and invest. Because I think at the end of the day, it'll make you a more well-rounded person coming out of um, your undergraduate years. And specifically, I think if people have the opportunity to, regardless of what they're studying, whether that's engineering, healthcare, business, liberal arts, arts, humanities, whatever it is, there are a couple areas I actually think are very beneficial for anybody. And so I'll just mention them. Number one, I think if anyone can have an opportunity to study abroad, and I know it can be tough financially, but I know there's also assistance available. I think studying abroad is a really, really critical one and something I wish I had done and didn't. Um, but that's number one. Number two is research. So even though I was an economics major, when I look back on it, I do wish I had um, partnered with a professor to do some kind of research because I think ultimately the type of depth of knowledge that you have to gain in a specific subject and the methods whether it's surveying or researching or an analytics is really, really critical for anything. I, I can say for me, it definitely would be beneficial. Beneficial. And the third thing is anything around public speaking. So whether that's taking a public speaking course for you know a couple of credits, whether that's trying to join some of the improv organizations that are on campus, or even UF has like a really solid speech and debate team, I think just going out and trying to participate and most of all, like going out of your comfort zone and doing things, not just what you have to do, but things that may be just a little bit interesting, I think would be really beneficial. Uh, and so those are, those are three things that I would encourage people to students to try out. But I think most of all, what I would say is just, you know, college is a really rare time. And I think even different than like when, if you pursue a master's or a PhD, undergrad specifically is like this really fleeting time where you can try out a lot of different things. Um, there are a lot of people who are equally interested and will probably go out and try those things with you if you want. And so going out there and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to try something you would never do ordinarily. That's like the best piece of advice I would give you. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm going to keep those advice for myself too. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to also uh, pivot to just outside of academics. Uh, what were some of your other favorite memories uh, at UF in Gainesville um, 
that you remember. And then um, I will follow up with what are your current hobbies and, you know, what do you do to have relaxing time outside of work now? So we'll go to what you did on campus besides school and activities. I don't think we told our listeners before, but you live now on the West Coast in California. So what do you like to do now um, in your free time? Do you like to bike as well? So I have been hesitant about biking because I feel like LA obviously is a notorious car city and I'm a little bit nervous to be out and about with cars. So I haven't biked, unfortunately. But what I have been taking advantage of is uh, prior to the pandemic, I was playing beach volleyball uh, once a week and also would just like go into other towns in OC because uh, Orange County, which is south of Los Angeles, has a lot of great restaurants and beach towns. Uh, so that was something I would like to do. And then a little bit of like nature trails and walking around and that kind of thing. So that's that's some part of how I like to spend my time. Um, and then most recently, I guess I've picked up quarantine hobbies, which are things that you can kind of do more isolated. And so I've started to pick up a little bit of piano and I play tennis and golf um, about once a week. So I'm kind of doing all the old man sports now. And uh, that's how I've been spending my beginning of 2021 and a lot of my 2020, I guess. Yeah, I think I think we've all been doing quarantine hobbies, picking up random things that we would probably not have done so much before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lastly, I just wanted to um, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, there anything last words that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, I think we covered a lot of it. And I mean, thank you for, for inviting me as a guest. B. Um, I would just say, hey, for the alumni, if you're interested in product management or anything else, you can always reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. And for the students, uh, same goes. When I was a student, I was always reaching out to alumni, picking their brain, getting advice, hearing their story about what, what things were like, what things are the same and what has changed. And don't hesitate. Don't be a stranger. Is, that's what I would say. And beyond that, I just wish everybody the best of luck and nothing but safe, safety and good health. Thanks again to Michael for sharing your story with us on the podcast. If you're interested in learning more, take a look at the links in our show notes of this episode. On behalf of the UF Association of Asian Alumni, thanks for listening to When I Became a Gator podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find this episode. To find out more, please visit ufasianalumni.com.